0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is Emma Sassett's Interview, with the star from Froggy Killers of the Flower Moon, Lily Gladstone. The Osage took their name from Missouri and Osage Rivers. Kanska. Children of the Middle Waters. Move, said the great white father. There are many, so many hungry
1: wolves. Can you find? the wolves in this picture.
2: How are you? I'm doing so well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm so, so looking forward to this chat. Absolutely, same. I mean, first of all, congratulations, Golden Globe nominee, Lily Gladstone! (laughs) I know, it's got got a nice ring to it. Yes, it does. Maybe maybe we're gonna get Golden Globe winner and Lily Gladstone very soon too, but I suppose we're gonna take it one day at a time. <laughs>
1: exactly. One one breath at a time.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean I I guess, you know, just how has it been these last few months? I know for some portion of it you weren't allowed to speak about this project due to the due to the strikes going on, but it just seems like these last few weeks, like your name is coming up every single day in some new critics group award or honor. I mean, you' are just on top of the world right now,
1: yeah, it's wild. i um I'm so thankful that I do get to speak about the film now. Uh, there was such a long time, you know, really just having to sit and just watch how it was being received. and I'm actually I'm actually grateful that if something something good were to result from the strike, that there was that time built in when actors weren't there to speak about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the film, Apple and, um, you know, everybody who went, went into making this just felt it was really important to center Osage voices in that, in our stead. And I hope that kind of establishes a new precedent Mm. The way the film was made, it, it just felt appropriate that the rollout, even though it was circumstantial because of the strike, it just followed suit, you know, every every aspect of production, pre-production through to, you know, distribution and showing it. Having Osage people speak first, um, that really allowed me even more time. Since, you know, I'm not Osage, I'm Native American, and, you know, my, my nation, we have... Um, Pretty much all nations in the U.S. have ways of relating to this story and this history, but it's such a specifically Osage one. It's one that still has impact within the community and has had ripple effects, um, policy, like just relationships with people who have grown up in the wake of all of this. So it was appropriate that the first voices to speak about it when the world gets to witness it or are, are Osage. Right there. Right. And it was nice to be an audience to that and to sit and listen. And, you know, I've maintained a lot of very close friendships back there and I go back often. And it was sitting down with a number of the Osage leadership. A lot lot of women were in positions of leadership within the Osage government just talking about the way they, they received the film. Mm -hmm. Um, That went into when I was finally able to speak about it, what I chose to say was, Really, especially in a Native women and children just to take their time with when they approached to see the film. It is a really important film to see. and you know, that whole week that it was premiering, I was just getting texts from friends from different nations around the country, you know different family, extended family that were renting out entire theaters and the whole communities showing up together. And it reminded me so much of, you know, just how we do things. We do things in community. We do things with each other in Indian country. We celebrate each other um, greatly. And that impact of the release was hugely felt. And I was just warning my friends before they walked in. It's like, be prepared though. It's, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. So I'm sitting and getting to speak with Osage ladies about it. They were talking about how grateful they were to see it in community first because there was an Osage mm-hmm. premiere, luckily, four days before the strike. Mm-hmm. It's really the thing that has helped most people to process it afterwards is not seeing it alone. Mm-hmm. Well, so, yeah, it's it's nice to be out again. <laughs> it's um I think it's the nomination yesterday and, like, just the – you know i've i've i kind of joked that um just getting through this and taking it day by day it feels like it's it's waiting across the street for me and eventually i know it's going to just body slam me with like a big <laughs> hug <laughs> and that's kind of what it felt it felt like yesterday oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it's been it's been wonderful it's been wonderful to share the film and speak about it and you know reunite yeah. with everybody that made it together you get so close with people when you're making something and then Getting to promote it together is just a, a great reunion and reminders of how much fun you had when you were making it. And, you know, we joke about that. We didn't have as much, we didn't have uh, business having as much fun as we did, given what, what we were making. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, natives, like we do things in community and, one of the extras in the film who was an osage woman walked around and asked all the extras all the people in every aspect of production who was native american what their tribal affiliation was and at the end she had tallied there were over 200 tribes represented making this wow so it was it was really fun you get a group of natives together and like just love laughing together so and personally like just my acting process i like to i intellectualize a scene a lot before i go into it just kind of a map for myself but i don't allow the emotion to live in it until i'm doing the scene i kind of need to guard and protect it um and i also really benefit from a 180. Mm. so it was really beneficial to have a light-hearted set and to keep the whole experience of making the film a positive and enriching one for everybody there because the content was traumatic enough Mm -hmm. so it kind of helped having a turn from being within a community that's so joyful and so supportive to you know going on you know when when cameras rolling and the given circumstances swing and then the stakes feel higher because Mm -hmm. you're with people that you really care about you're with descendants of survivors and people who who were killed during the reign of terror and, um, yeah, anyways, just the reunions abound. <laughs> it's been <laughs> get out and promote it again.
2: I was going to ask, um, I'm sure that, you know, as you did this film, as you said, working with so many uh, Osage members, what were some of the most impactful takeaways from that time for you as I'm sure so many different stories are being shared? so many different family members you're being introduced to, um, what stands out from that time. And then now as you get to go back and, and interact with some of those same people again, how, how have things changed?
1: I think one of the most remarkable things is as we were making it, we were developing these really deep relationships with people, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I grew up in a community where we have the odd film roll in once in a while, and sometimes it's a positive experience for the community, other times it's not. Um, So I understood walking into Osage country, there would be plenty of people very skeptical of our presence. And um, rightfully so, you know, protective of their story, not knowing what would be done with it. I had great faith that it was gonna be an incredible film. My introduction to Marty as a filmmaker was Kundun and I think mm. a lot of people associate him mostly with Goodfellas Casino and right. that kind of film with this kind of history put a lot of people on edge. Um, but what's been so remarkable are a lot of the most skeptical, most critical voices in the community, they weren't held in, like in the margins, you know. Um, like their concerns were heard, and a lot of the people who I've stayed in touch with um really now are protective of the film Mm. feel like feel like it's really shed light on what the reality of the reign of terror was as hard as it is to watch um it really does feel like the general consensus with osage and i particularly like to center those who are descendants of the of the survivors and the victims of the, of the reign of terror. One of the greatest examples is um, Jim Gray, former chief Jim Gray. Um, Jim was very vocally almost opposed to the film in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He was on social media the whole time just like voicing his concerns, making sure that Osage people were being heard. Um, and Jim is a direct descendant of Henry Roan, who's depicted mm. in the film by William Ballou. And then when the film came out, um, Jim got a private family screening ahead of anybody else because the film had shown it to people who were direct descendants of Molly, direct descendants of Henry Roan, um, who came from this whole era. And um, Jim, his, his praise of the film was effusive. You know, he's uh, his his tweet about it. He has a very, very long tweet talking about how good it was to see that it wasn't a white savior story. Mm. Um, And, you know, kind of just uh, around Osage country now, people refer to Martin Scorsese as Uncle Marty. um, So it was it's been a wonderful thing to see that that skepticism and reserve that the community held and the kind of that fear. Even when I met Margie Burkhart, Molly's granddaughter, Mm -hmm. I could feel I could feel how um the, the kind of toll it was taking on her knowing that the story was being made and not knowing what we were going to do with it. And one of the first things she said to one of our producers when we were done is she'd felt a great weight had been lifted. And when I met her, the first time I saw her after she had seen the film, I could feel that she was it was like meeting a different woman. Her um, and she just she gave me the biggest hug. She introduced me to her grandchildren, and just like this moment where it felt like, you know, Marty and Leo have talked about how they could feel when I was Molly. They could feel me channeling her so much. And you know, as the performer, you're aware that, you know, you're emulating or you're embodying or whatever. You're doing what you're doing what you can. Um, I, I couldn't see what, what they were seeing though. Mm-hmm. But for a second when I was meeting Molly's great-granddaughter who had never met her grandma, had only, you know, ideas of who her grandma could have been. It was, um, I felt Molly there in that moment so much. Not like I was a conduit for her, but it's like I, I saw Molly looking back at me through her great-granddaughter's face and it's just so like, powerful. it was incredible. Like the, the deep recognition that we had of each other in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it, I felt like I had met Molly, and it felt mm-hmm. like in a way Molly was there meeting her great granddaughter. Um, wow. She had just experienced the story. And, you know, Margie had said it was so hard to imagine what that relationship and that marriage must have been like. But when she saw the film, she's like, it very well could have been what it was like. That felt very real to, to what the legacy is.
2: And I'm sure, I mean, for yourself, Taking on this character and, you know, coming into Osage Nation, as you said, with so many people, not sure how it was going to go to uh, how it was going to be. And then to kind of end this tale with that meeting, I mean, that must have been just the most beautiful parting gift for you.
1: It really was. You know, I think Margie Burkhart's opinion, because I was playing Molly. And, you know, Margie looks so much like photos I've seen of Molly, mm-hmm. the way that she held herself, the way she would process a thought, kind of turn it over in her head. You could literally <laughs> see her turning it over in her head. Yes. <laughs> the acknowledgement of it. Um, all of those things went into, went into Molly. It's almost like the way that Margie was speaking with me kind of you know arms a bit crossed like holding a bit in a side eye you know just mm-hmm. like moving
2: mm-hmm.
1: all of that went into that first scene between molly and ernest at the dinner table when she's yes. like it's like all right let's let's bring you in um but yeah it was her opinion is the one that i held closest to my heart and wanted to make i wanted to make her happy if i could do that so yeah it was, it was an incredible moment
2: That's so lovely. I'm so happy that you got to share that with with her and so many other people on on this project. Um, Kind of going back to something you also mentioned, um, how this ended up not being a white savior story. I'm sure that... um, I personally have not read uh, David Grant's book, but I <laughs> my partner has read it. And mm-hmm. so he was very excited to see this new take on the story, knowing that mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese and uh, Eric Roth had had changed the screenplay um, mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, for yourself, did you feel like that was an appropriate way to change the story to to not have it be through, you know, the FBI eyes and to actually dive into this community.
0: Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
1: Absolutely. Especially because the legacy that the FBI has held in Indian country since then, it would be a real tragedy if people walked away under Mm -hmm. the assumption the FBI are our saviors. Mm -hmm. It's deeply ironic that this case of missing and murdered indigenous people is the whole reason the FBI was formed. It was because the Osage Nations went and paid for this investigation that J. Edgar Hoover's like, Hey, this will look good for my career and he was like floundering then. People were struggling to take he and his newly formed bureau very seriously. Mm-hmm. So bringing on a Texas Ranger, somebody who knew the American West and, you know, that whole case created still operational protocol the FBI uses. And because of the way jurisdiction is set up in the United States, tribal governments as sovereign nations and the treaties that we signed with the the U.S. government is the whole reason the U.S. government had any validity to, Mm to establish yourself as a nation one of the ways you do that is to enter into a treaty with another sovereign nation and the united states did that with tribal nations yet treaties have not been upheld and since that has happened it's just been a constant erosion of our sovereign rights to the point that we're wards of the us government where we we do have our own tribal governments but basically it means that the states that we're in don't govern us we set our own hmm. constitutions but the federal government does still have jurisdiction over rules. So that means that when a violent crime is committed on tribal lands by a non-tribal member, either somebody who's maybe descended or a you know, completely non-tribal member, somebody who's not enrolled in that place, and it typically, statistically is white people committing these violent crimes against native bodies, there's nobody to prosecute them except the FBI. And the FBI doesn't. The FBI doesn't put the manpower, doesn't put the resources into looking into cases of abused women, missing women, murdered. Mm-hmm. Our tribal governments do not have the authority to prosecute these violent offenders, so doing that was essential. That you know, and it is—it's deeply ironic. The whole reason the FBI was formed, the whole reason this country was formed, was because of these relationships that they entered into with Indigenous people, and just have continued to be an ineffective um, organizations, um, establishments, that's really doing anything for us, protecting us. It's always left to, to us, to ourselves, to grassroots endeavors. So changing the story was the right thing to do in that regard. Historically, we're also at a time where we don't need to be white knighting the FBI. We don't need to be white knighting these characters. I think it was remarkable the way that that transformation was handled, where Tom White really is a man who comes in and does his job. Mm -hmm. And they didn't shy away from, they didn't make a marginal character within that, the way that they really highlight John Wren as the first tribal FBI agent. And that's very common practice, too. The Mm -hmm. FBI hires a lot of tribal members, particularly working within jurisdictions within Indian country. Um, But by focusing also on this, this trickster figure, this dualistic protagonist, antagonist, Um, The whole reason we zeroed in on Molly calling Ernest Shomikasi coyote (laughs) from a trickster story, a coyote trickster story my Osage language teacher had given me in my lessons. Mm. And it just so clearly to me was an analogy for their relationship and the nature of Ernest and how Molly would have interacted with him because he had that that trickster element. Um, So there was a level of because Molly had grown up on these stories that are often funny. Um, when you're a kid, and you know, we have that trickster figure in our oral tradition too. We don't have coyote, but the stories a lot of times are the same. Um, Blackfeet, our trickster figure, also is the root word for our word for white man. <laughs> mm. <laughs> it has to do with that sort of friend <laughs> thing. So um, yeah, by by centering the story around this marriage, and by really giving the lens to this, this friend foe, this white man's lens, you're watching this trickster's journey. And when you hear trickster stories, they're about the trickster. Mm-hmm. You're learning lessons about how to be by not being that. Mm-hmm. You watch everything that's, that the trickster does that's faulty, and then you learn how to live there. And the older you get when you're raised with these stories, they may be really funny when you're a kid. It's like Looney Tunes, really. Like I'm almost convinced that a Coyote and Roadrunner for Looney Tunes is based on Osage oral tradition now. <laughs> but Coyote never wins. No. And he doesn't hurt everybody in his wake while he's hedonistically pursuing like creature comfort and mm-hmm. um, opportunistic tunistic, um, endeavor, all of it. So in the end, that kind of really helped as well and it brings the audience along with this self-indictment that the film makes of itself at the end i love that marty signed off the way that he did you know calling out that this history had been made pulp fiction had been turned into radio shows his introduction to it likely would have been the same That that was the era marty grew up watching and absorbing film and media and um by placing himself and therefore the film there it's, um, it's a continuation of that legacy of, but in this way, like a compassionate one, that platforms a different history and has really brought the audience along this journey of challenging their own complicity in these systems that uphold white supremacy, that uphold indigenous erasure, um, really in a, a grander narrative, this uh, ongoing cycle, these ongoing systems that are killing our planet and killing
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah. When you look back on, you know, on this conversation that we're having right now, and, you know, you think back on all of these different important themes and topics that are discussed in this film, and just the way that it's all portrayed. I mean, how do you how do you wrap your head around being part of this project, and I mean, doing all of this, I'm sure that there was maybe a lot of pressure, uh, you know, maybe that you put on yourself for wanting to tell this story as 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 well as possible. Maybe a lot of pressure, you know, with the the gravity and the weight that it holds with so many other people. But you know, how do you feel now after after some time has passed? I mean.
1: I guess I'm still in practice of what I had tried to tell myself about how to handle all of this at the beginning. Mm -hmm. My first interviews at can, I remember this analogy kind of fell out of my mouth because it's what I was thinking. Um, you said pressure, you know, and it does, and it can, and since I got cast, it certainly feels like it could be that, but just, turning to worldview and teachings about good fortune. It's like, I, I'm very lucky to be a person who's carrying it, but that's all that's happening. And I don't carry it alone. It's, um, you know, I look at anything like good fortune, luck, abundance of, you know, attention, uh, fortune, whatever it is, it's, it's energy, it's resources, it's, and you know, the most, sacred abundant and necessary resource on this planet is water Mm -hmm. so looking at it as water um if i'm letting the pressure sit on my shoulders it's because i'm acting like a dam in the river and a dam you know water that a water a body of water that doesn't move that doesn't have movement through it will become stagnant
2: Mm -hmm.
1: will grow all kinds of, you know, <laughs> uh bacteria and become like an un- eventually an unsustainable um unpotable source of water like it Not needs thing you want. Exactly. I don't want to be that. So it's it's letting it continue to pass forward, recognizing that it's something that you know, you don't hoard, you don't like hold in excess. You have mm-hmm. to let it keep going through you and it's just it's a momentary thing, but it's also shared. You know, it's the film was made in community. I was created in community. And if it, you know, if it did, if I did, um, it's also given just good advice by um, Sean Gillette. He was, uh, he was in Darren Aronofsky's first film, Pie. He Mm. was the protagonist Mm -hmm. of that. But uh, Sean is a friend. um, And he told me the second you make it about me, they've got you, it's always we. It's like that's so true. It's, yeah. um, so it's just I'm so grateful that through this whole process I've been able to maintain connections with my Osage now like feels like family. Um very close friends that now feel like family. That the context has always shifted where it's gone. It goes back to that first moment where I was offered the role on Molly Burkhart's birthday. Nobody designed it that way. It just, no, <laughs> but it was that immediate thought of excitement for myself terror for the weight that i felt was starting to come down but then like oh remember what day it is you've been researching this woman remember what day it is that's a good sign yeah and it's a good reminder of what this is really about so while i'm here while i'm walking this and kind of carrying part of it there's there's such a bigger community, you know, such a big moment for Indigenous representation. The other actors in the film, it's, um, yeah, it's uh, just letting it pass through, I guess. <laughs> I love that.
2: I it's a beautiful way to put it. Totally taking little sips, but letting it pass through. That's right, um, Lily. I do have to wrap up as you are drinking water right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, I do want to thank you so very much for your for your time and your beautiful conversation. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Emma. It was really lovely to talk to you too. I love thank your thank you.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> I always like checking out people's plant game when.
2: <laughs> I have many more over here to my right hand side. <laughs>
1: love it, love it.
2: <laughs> en- enjoy the rest of your day and best of luck the rest of this this fun, crazy yes. whirlwind ride. Very much.
0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Emma Sassick's interview with the star from Killers of the Flower Moon, Lily Gladstone, here on the next Best Picture podcast. Killers of the Flower Moon will be available to stream on Apple TV Plus on January 12th and is up for your consideration in all eligible categories at the 96th Annual Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress for Lily Gladstone.